Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Getting ready to represent Christ to your world today. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Friday the 31st of July 2020. If you have not heard yet, uh, Herman Cain passed from this life into glory yesterday. I feel confident in saying that. He is our brother in Christ, a husband, a father, a grandfather, an African-American, a cancer survivor, extraordinarily successful and creative businessman, creative thinker, former presidential candidate. And I will add unrepressibly optimistic. If you ever met Herman Cain, which I had the occasion to do, uh, I don't know, a handful of times, irrepressibly optimistic optimistic, and uh, and a person with a voice that was worthy of radio for sure. Um, a delight. Yeah. Twinkle in his eye, pep in his step. Um, I saw him most recently at the National Religious Broadcasters event uh, in Nashville earlier this year. Herman Cain's death illuminates uh, a particular darkness in which we now find ourselves. Um, many, a grotesque many, are dancing on his grave. And there was a time when people seemed to know better than to speak ill of the dead. Today is apparently not that day. And so as you hear people um, make reference not only to Herman Cain, but to others who are dying in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic for a constellation of reasons. Um, Pause. Pause and consider the way in which we are talking sometimes very casually about numbers, like 150,000 Americans have now died of COVID-19, or how defensive we become about what their death certificates say took their life um, or why they died. I mean, there are people who have taken this opportunity um, to make political statements. They didn't like Herman Cain's politics or his allegiances. Um, And instead of grieving his death, which, by the way, is the right response to death, no matter who dies, Instead of grieving his death, there are those whom you are going to hear saying or at least suggesting, well, he deserved it. So let me pause right there. Let me pause right there and invite us to consider the underlying truth that, in fact, death is the one thing we all deserve. Death is the one thing we all deserve. Not for some perceived social sin of failing to wear a mask but for the reality that there are sins we all mask. God's word is clear. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Here is one thing I know about you. One day you are going to die. What I don't know is whether or not you will live again as a redeemed person in Jesus Christ in the full presence of the living God for all eternity. 
You're going to die. I'm going to die. We all deserve death. Scripture is abundantly clear. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and equally clear that the wages of sin are death. The good news of the gospel is that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He took what we deserved and in return grants us a share in his just deserts, a reconciled eternal life in the very glory of the living and eternal God forever and ever. Amen. So just for the record, although Herman Cain died, I feel very confident in saying to you, yet he lives. Why? Because he was a man fully given over to God, a man in Christ, who although he died yesterday here in this world, lives yet today in the presence of the living God. I can only say that because I know he was a Christian. Politics aside, circumstances of conception, birth, life, business, politics aside, He died yesterday, and yet he lives because of Jesus. That's the very real hope of the gospel. That's the truth too many people miss today. And that is the one headline you and I as Christians cannot miss as we converse with others about anything. God is the issue. And yeah, it is all life and death. All right, next up, I got Matthew Hawkins. He and I are going to talk about a range of topics We're going to lead off with uh, Senator Josh Hawley's comments about the Supreme Court. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, joining me now, Matthew Hawkins, public theologian, former policy director of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. Uh, hey, Matt, welcome back. Good morning, Carmen. Thank you very much. Good morning. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's talk Josh Hawley. For people who don't know him, yeah. um, maybe just introduce him briefly and then tell us why why we you and I are talking about him today. Sure. Josh Hawley is a freshman senator from Missouri, uh, freshman meaning he's two years into his first six-year term. And he is a passionate pro-lifer like you and me. And recently uh, he published an op-ed and then uh, has made some uh, – This then more recently this week uh, made some uh, remarks on the Senate floor um, really expressing I think what you and I probably feel as exasperation – uh, with the Supreme Court, uh, particularly given the fact that supposedly uh, conservatives have a five to four majority. Um, well, it appears uh, from recent cases, um, uh, religious liberty cases aside, that on conservative, social conservative issues, specifically abortion-related cases, we're not going anywhere with the Supreme Court. Uh, and that is frustrating to people like you and me, and it's really frustrating to Senator Josh Hawley. Um, so he has taken uh, to the uh, the Senate floor this week um, and expressing a lot of what I agree with, and it's really frustrating that at the federal level we've seen virtually no movement on anything related to abortion policy. There's lots of activity at the State Department that we, you and I talk about, or not the State Department, at the state level. 
that you and I talk about. Um, yeah, don't tell people about our conversations about the State Department. Yeah, <laughs> secret, secret. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah secret. Um, little to no movement at the federal level, uh, including Congress and, and the Supreme Court. Uh, you, you do have some glimpse of hope uh, in the regulatory body that is the Health and Human Services uh, under the Trump administration, but Congress and and the Supreme Court um, are basically o for you know. <laughs> Oh, for whatever losses. And uh, Hawley has committed now. He says that he will only in the future vote for Supreme Court nominees um, that have been publicly on the record as saying something like Roe versus Wade was wrongly decided. Um, It's an interesting strategy. Um, I think it comes out of uh, obviously exasperation and frustration. Supreme Court nominees don't come around a whole lot, as we know, and fights are really contentious. Um, I'm I'm going to part ways strategically with Senator Hawley. Um, I don't think his uh, rubric is all that achievable uh, to get a Supreme Court nominee across across the finish line. Um, uh, again, just, it's a strategic difference. Um, and I, I think if you have a situation again, where Republicans are in a 51 to 49 majority, um, and he's the outlier, that's going to be a problem. And so he may have painted himself in the corner, um, as to what he might, uh, that as far as how he might vote on a future nominee, which, which may happen, uh, in the next presidential term. So, uh, and I think the outrage and and the absurdity that you have seen um, from the left fighting um, reasonable jurists like uh, like Gorsuch and Kavanaugh, if you have someone on the record as as being against as saying Roe v. Wade is wrongly decided, uh, I think we've not seen anything like uh, the opposition that we've seen to Gorsuch and Kavanaugh. Um, So I'm a little skeptical about his tactics, um, but I definitely harmonize with his his exasperation with the court. Um, I'd also challenge him, um, now he was not around when this happened, uh, so he's he's a new senator since I witnessed this. Um, but you know, we had a Republican controlled Congress and white house for two years and they did absolutely no legislation related to abortion. None zip zilch that predates Holly. Um, but there's a white house involved and there is a Republican majority who, uh, opted to do other things than say defund Planned Parenthood. They opted to do other things then say codify the Conscious Protection Act into law, which would protect healthcare providers from being forced to participate in abortions. That bill itself passed both chambers two times, and both times got scuttled by the White House as not a priority uh, in chambers. That was at the president's desk. It could have been accomplished. So when Holly um, and others are get all. Uh, out of sorts over Supreme Court decisions, uh, I'm sorry, I want to point the spotlight back at Congress um, and legislators uh, and request that they do their job a little more diligently, and it might require them to trade some other Republican priorities for the sake of the unborn priority. Uh, That's where my frustration lies. So, uh, Matt, let's take a very brief break. When we come back, let's actually talk about what some members of Congress are seeking to do in relationship to life Uh, protections. Uh, We're going to raise 
We're going to raise here uh, a, a conversation about what Democrats in the House are seeking to do in relationship to the Helms mm-hmm. Amendment, something you may have yep. never heard of if you're listening right now. But uh, <laughs> but Matt Hawkins is going to brief us in on that next. We'll be right back. All right, we're following uh, life news, not only uh, here in the United States, but around the world. Matthew Hawkins is with me now. Um, Matt, what is going, first of all, what is the Helms Amendment? What's going on with the Helms (laughs) Helms Amendment in the U.S. Congress? The Helms Amendment, a somewhat obscure uh, but historic uh, piece of legislation, uh, basically introduced in the early 70s. And what it does, it's named for the late uh, Senator Jesse Helms, and what it does is um, limit U.S. funds to support abortion outside of our borders. So as if the debate over funding Planned Parenthood and funding uh, abortions domestically wasn't enough, uh, there are folks among the pro-abortion industry who have been trying to export abortion practices overseas for decades now. And it's a, it's a, having been worked in Washington and seeing how this stuff has played out, um, the, the abortion, the pro-abortion folks, uh, legislators never, never see an oppor- never miss an opportunity to at least try to uh, free up federal funding for abortion somewhere, domestically or beyond. And so what you have here is now the Democrats uh, have introduced a bill to repeal the Helms Amendment uh, to basically allow federal funds to be used for um, abortion and family planning um, methods overseas. And so the thing about that strikes me now uh, about this is the proponents of the Democrat bill uh, basically say that the Helms Amendment is is racist. And the the basically the talking point is that um, people in developing worlds who are de- de- developing countries who tend to be uh, not white, right, uh, black or brown skin, uh, that quote pr- uh, reproductive and economic freedom unquote is out of reach for again quote okay, women of let me color. Just, let me just pause yeah. you and, and 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 let's just talk about what's happening here. We have Democrats who are advocating that American taxpayer dollars be used globally to terminate the lives of black and brown people. And instead of that being characterized as as racist on the face of it, like right, that that the fact that Democrats are advocating that U.S. taxpayer dollars be used globally to terminate the lives of black and brown people, that is racist on the face of it. And and so for Dems to be saying that, in fact, the Helms um, the the Helms Amendment is is what is racist here is is just it's just hypocrisy at in the in the brightest light. Yeah. Well, Sorry, and, and I'm a little exercised you, about this. I mean, no, I, that's, that's I, fine. Be we exercised. are trying. You're, we are trying to export death, and we're and yeah. we're trying to use taxpayer dollars to do it. I mean, I it, you know if if pro life people listening right now aren't exercised about this, you need to be. I, I am. Yeah, it's not just the, my. It's not just a caffeine talking, right? That's yeah. my. Dust. Well, I'm that, getting a Jesus freak on this morning, man. I mean, I it, this is 
Okay, well, go ahead. Especially Sorry. knowing what well, knowing what we know about the about the U.S. history of of abortion, uh, a lot of the abortion uh, legalization in the in the middle of the 20th century had to do with limiting the population of poor people and non-whites. We know that. Uh, even Planned Parenthood is finally in 2020. <laughs> Trying to shed itself of its history with of Margaret Sanger, who was a eugenist. Uh, so all this stuff is wrapped up in population control and and diminishing the population of of black and brown people. Um, it's racist from the get go, and so that's what struck me about this is you basically have either side saying you're racist, and well, no, you're racist, and uh, I you know I can tell it's really really absurd, and I and I I can tell you uh, having worked in Washington and and worked with uh, a little bit on international policy related things, there are lots of you know pro life uh, social conservatives, often Catholic from say um, South America, who really feel like this the imposition of abortion funding from the U.S. is a kind of uh, cultural uh, colonialism, right? So you have these kind of modern ideologies who are trying to impose itself through American dollars uh, into countries that, uh, quite frankly, would prefer abortion, the abortion uh, industry uh, and regime not enter their space. Um, so this is a big problem. Thankfully, right now, uh, this kind of bill is, is a no-go for the Senate, um, so it's not going to go anywhere, but it is a marker, uh, and it is a marker during a, um, an election year. And so even though, it, even if this passes the House, it's not likely to pass the Senate, so it's not going to go anywhere this session of Congress, but uh, you can be sure that uh, presuming Democrats hold at least the House uh, next year, uh, this will be uh, reintroduced. Elections matter. Yep, they do. Elections matter. Um, okay, related to this, if you live in the greater Minneapolis area and you, at Twin Cities, you know, the whole shebang, um, and you happen to subscribe to the Star Tribune, um, Ross Douthat's New York Times op-ed is reprinted there. If systemic racism is a real thing, Planned Parenthood's Margaret Sanger problem looks like a prime example. Historically, abortion rights lead to a decline in minority births. Uh, Ross does a great job connecting all the dots here. Um, if you want to uh, understand how they're all connected. All right. Abortion is designed to limit brown and black births. There is there just Planned Parenthood is the agency that has been uh, on the forefront of accomplishing it. And if you want to have a conversation about systemic racism, you cannot leave the abortion conversation, uh, you know, off the table as a uh, as a topic. All right. Matt Hawkins, you and I got to leave it right there. So many things we could have talked about today. Thank you for talking with us about uh, about these particular issues um thanks man i just i genuinely appreciate it thanks carmen have a great weekend well, you too we'll be right back you got a question that keeps you up at night you have doubts dean and sarah uh is the pastor who wrote a really provocative book uh, just a couple of years ago called The Unsaved Christian, probably um, our most popular book conversation we've ever had here um, on the show. Um, he's joining me again today. His new book is Without a Doubt. Um, if you have struggled with any uncertainty related to related to faith, which, you know, who hasn't, right? Um if you struggle with certainty about your faith, if you struggle with uncertainty or doubt related to the promises of Christianity, uh, man, this is a conversation you don't want to miss. Next up, pastor and author Dean and Sarah, the book, Without a Doubt. We'll be right back. 
One of the great mistakes many parents make is not establishing a belief system when their kids are young. Such a system is crucial if your home is to operate effectively. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. A belief system includes a list of your convictions, a set of rules for how your family will function based on your beliefs, and consequences for breaking those rules. Such a system should provide you with a relational policy and procedure manual for your home. There's no better model, of course, than the precepts found in the Bible. And you must adopt biblical principles as your own. And if your kids are beyond adolescence, don't worry. It's never too late to start. Create an atmosphere in your home where relationships can flourish. Find more parenting help from Mark Gregston at ParentingTodaysTeens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. Sarah is a pastor, he's a theologian, he's an author, he's a husband, he's a dad, he's a good guy, he's questionable taste in athletics, but that's okay. Dean and Sarah joining us today, seeking to reach the city of Tallahassee with the gospel to see a worldwide impact made for Jesus. Dean, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Hey, it's great to be back with you, Carmen, and uh, my sports teams need to start playing again. I'm not sure I've ever confessed to you. I'm a I'm a Gator, so the fact that you're in Tallahassee oh. at all is a, I know I know it's a little bit of a problem. It's okay. It's okay. Lots yes. of people going to at me now. Let's talk That's about right. um, let's talk about your latest book. Um, first of all, let me reach back and um, compliment you again on the book you wrote entitled "The Unsaved Christian." Probably our most um, commented on, requested, highlighted conversation we've ever had. Um, it is uh, it's a book that I continue to give people um, who are confused about the difference between what I describe as like functional atheism. You know how we're just sort of operating in the world as if God is not, even though we call ourselves Christians and sure. real a real life of faith. So, um, first of all, I just want to uh, thank you again for that. Let's talk today about your new book, Without a Doubt. Um, define define maybe doubt and then define this this concept of certainty of faith. Yeah, so where in the context of doubt for this book and the whole concept of what I'm trying to explain and help people think through is that there's a lot of things right now we can have doubt about in our world. There's a lot of things that could keep us up at night. As a Christian, where we stand with God should not be one of those things. Uh, for someone who maybe is like well, we just talked about a second ago, someone who might be an unsaved Christian, then that should keep them up at night where they stand with God. Uh, but we had different doubts about things with the coronavirus and when is school going to start? Is this ever going to go away? Is it ever going to be normal again? The election and coming up in November. So many things there's doubts about. We should not be doubting as Christians where we stand with God. That is so important. And so the book, one, is to help comfort people in that. And also for those who aren't sure and maybe are staying up at night wondering where they stand with God to have clarity so they can know or not know uh, if they're in the right place with God. So um, one really maybe humble answer to the question would be, um, gosh, I, I don't even I don't even stand before God. I kneel. I lie prostate. I, sure. I, I, right, right. So when you talk about our standing before God, you are talking about um, where I, as a sinner made in God's image, but fallen, um, how I stand before God as a redeemed individual. 
Um, and so let's actually fast forward to the end of the book, um, okay. sharing with others how they can know they're saved so that our listeners are equipped to do what you and I hope every Christian is equipped to do, and that is to help other people answer this this one essential question. Yes, definitely. And by standing, I mean their status with God. But like, right. wh- where are you with God? You know, so uh, that's one thing I don't want to have to worry about. The first John said, I write you these things so you may know that you have eternal life. Right. So we should know our status uh, as Christians and that it's unshakable. It's unmovable because in God's hands. And I think the two ways, the two main ways that we know uh, where we stand with God is belief and really how we respond to that belief with our lifestyle. Like we need to have right beliefs. I don't mean nitpicky doctrine where we're getting down to the nitty gritties, but but true affirmation of who Jesus is, our need for him, his death, his resurrection. You know, the, those those essential beliefs from First Corinthians fifteen, uh, but also uh, that we have fruit in our lives that shows that. That Jesus said they'll know people will know we're believers by the fruit we bear. Right. So my I, I talk about in the book how when I was a kid, my grandfather had a grapefruit tree in his backyard. I know absolutely nothing about trees. I don't have a green thumb. I'm not very outdoorsy. I love the indoors and air conditioning. (laughs) I don't know anything about trees. But I knew that those trees outside were grapefruit trees for one reason only. They had grapefruits on them. (laughs) That's how I knew. That's that's the deepest thing you'll ever hear, right? That's how I knew. Uh, So that's how we can, one of the ways we can know we're believers, not that our works save us, but our works are evidence that we have actually been saved. The question about um, about works and about pointing to um, practices or things that we do um, that might give us a false confidence um, that we are standing rightly. There's a self-righteousness question in the midst of all of this as well. And I think that um, I think you till that soil really well, the times and the spaces in which we want to point to, um, you know, what we do. As really, you know, that's that is not the gospel. Talk about the not the gospel. The gospel is not. There's a, you have a whole series of uh, of things uh, there, and I think that's really helpful for us to hear. Oh, absolutely. And I think we one of the ways we make sure we're clear what the gospel is, and are without a doubt concerning our standing with God, is that we also know what the gospel is not. So if we ever for a moment believe that those works that are supposed to be the fruit of our lives, if we ever think that those works actually justify us, actually make us right with God, uh, improve our standing with God, uh, maybe uh, make us more superior than somebody else, then we have completely missed the gospel because we're adding something onto it. Anytime we do Jesus plus something else, we're in very dangerous water. I mean, the book of Galatians is almost dedicated to that idea. Uh, People who are adding things onto the gospel, believing that their works, their added religion, their man-made activities uh, were going to enhance their standing as Christians— we must reject any idea of that. Our works are a response to the salvation we've been given. They're evidence that we have it, that we do believe these things. We've been regenerate, made new, that we've repented of our sins. They are not the actual thing that saves us. And that might sound elementary to some who are listening, but we need to revisit that over and over again. I mean, so much of the theme of the Bible is Paul correcting that? Is Jesus speaking to self-righteousness like over and over again? Uh, because one of the greatest acts of, of really just not getting it in all the Bible is believing that our good deeds improve our standing with God. And that is just the opposite of Christianity. We need to make sure we're clear on that over and over again. 
That voice you're hearing is Dean and Sarah. He is, among other things, the pastor of City Church Tallahassee. You can find them at citychurchtallahassee.com. Um, if you're not connected in uh, with a with a church where you can learn about not only what God has said in His enduring Word, but um, but be discipled, you know, like right, this is a this is a place you can get that. We're talking with Dean today about his newest book, Without a Doubt. Um, people do live with all kinds of doubt. I think that your clarification at the outset that we're specifically talking about um, our standing in terms of status um, before before God, um, that that's really what this conversation is about. Um, talk about the barriers to belief. That's where, you know, that's where you head after you lay out the question that keeps us up at night. You know, you talk about these barriers to belief. What are those? Yeah, I, I think so, so, some of the biggest barriers to belief are, are things such as that self-righteousness, right? There's, there's that, that belief that that we are, you know, fine on our own, that we're good people, that we have good morals. You know, it, it can be really hard uh, to to really see our need for Christ if we believe that we're good people by ourselves. And it's a very American idea uh, that we're just fine, right? That we're just great people on our own. Uh, so that could be a really big barrier. Um, I, I think also there's just this sort of default mode we have that always like goes back to works righteousness, you know, that, that really just wants to uh, believe that either we're good we're, we're good with God because we've done a good job with our morals today, or we're not good with God because we did a bad job with our morals. Uh, other barriers to belief are, are things like our heritage. Uh, a lot of people think that they're Christians simply because um, they were born into a Christian family, uh, and that's going to create doubt in their life because they're going to be thinking later on in life, well, is that really it? Am I, what is it that makes me a Christian? And uh, you know, any, Anything's a barrier that is something different than the reason I'm a Christian is because of Jesus. Anything's a barrier to belief. Uh, that wants to put ourselves as the reason. So it's just so easy to think that the problems are atheism and other religions and those type of things, when really a lot of the main barriers to assurance in general is us putting our assurance in the wrong things. And what I've come to learn is that those things never really actually give us comfort. So these barriers that are out there really become actual, like truly, uh, not, not just barriers to belief, but roads to really troubling beliefs that almost seem close enough to Christianity, that, that it kind of gives us that false assurance, but also it never really gives us what we're looking for, because there's still that, is this enough kind of thoughts in our mind. But I believe I had a point the biggest barrier to belief right now in America. Uh, I think it's the universal belief that everybody's a really good person. But that's what I would say. Or a pretty good person, or at least I'm yeah, a little bit better enough. than that person. As long as I can yeah. find one person that, you know, I, you know, could, by comparison, certainly God would let me into heaven over them. So, right. And I think exactly. that this idea that um, that's a, that is a very American idea. Um, and so, yeah, Dean, it is a super helpful conversation. Let's take a very, very brief break. Dean and Sarah and I are going to continue this conversation um, in just a moment. I'm also going to ask him. Just some broad questions about pastoral ministry right now, what he's experiencing um, in the midst of the coronavirus. He is serving in the state of Florida, where the coronavirus is um, uh, is significant and, and deadly and damaging. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that as well. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. My guest is Dean and Sarah. The book is without a doubt. We'll be right back. I'm smelling coffee, birds are singing just outside. Talking with uh, Pastor Dean and Sarah, we're talking about his brand new book, Without a Doubt, 
how to know for certain you're good with God. Um, Dean, um, before we pivot to just kind of a wide open conversation about what you're experiencing right now as a as a pastor, um, why don't you why don't you just issue kind of the the invitation that the book offers, which is not only that I would have this assurance, this certainty, but that I would be able to um, invite other people who are uncertain into this this assurance, this blessed assurance of saving faith. Absolutely. And this book is short on purpose. It's less than 100 pages. I want it to be used as a guide to hand to someone for a conversation uh, that churches can give, church members can give to people who may be there that are in their lives that they're sharing the gospel with. And, And just what I think I want people listening to know is that we actually can fully, without a shadow of a doubt, know our status with God. I think it's really easy to assume things like, well, can we really know uh, what a what a hard life, what what a joyless life uh, to really go every day, not really being sure, have I done enough today? Is God happy with me? Because most people in America aren't atheists. Yes, that number's growing, uh, but most people still to this day in our country are not atheists. Uh, so they have some sort of theistic belief. Is it the belief that this is the God of the Bible? Most likely no, uh, but it's some sort of divine being in their head at least. But they wonder a lot of times, have I done these things? And and here's the reality. You can know. Like, God so loved the world that he sent his only son. He gave his only son uh, to come and die a death that we deserve for our sins. Uh, God is not a generic God. He is defined. He has spoken to us in the Bible, and he tells us that he's a holy God, and we have sinned against him. We have said, God, no, thank you. I don't want to follow you. I want to really just enjoy your stuff instead. Uh, And God, in his grace and mercy, rather than punishing us as our sins deserved, uh, punished Christ, who then rose from the grave three days later. Uh, And if we trust in Jesus and repent of our sins, we can know. So here's the good news I want to share with you, besides what I just told you, is that our faith is in God's hands. It's not in ours. So we can know because he's the one who holds on to our faith. We're told that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And then Paul in the book of Romans chapter 8 lists all these different things, these scenarios that maybe someone might think could separate us from God's love. And he says none of those things could. Why? Because when Jesus died for our sins, he didn't just die for it theoretically. He purchased us. Like he bought us. He redeemed us. And also he had God adopted us into his family. Uh, so you can't go from being adopted to being non-adopted. Uh, so I just want people to know that. Like God did not intend for us to walk around wondering where we stand with him. Uh, he has given us his son to secure by the Holy Spirit where we stand with him. And that can be a reality in your life. So please don't, if you're going to stay up, stay up at night, tossing and turning, make it about something else other than where you stand with God, because that should never be a reason. Now, if you don't know Jesus, I hope you toss and turn all night <laughs> because you have every reason to. Uh, but but that can change by you giving your life to the Lord. And that would just be my charge and my encouragement and plea to everybody listening uh, for their friends or for themselves. Dean, let's talk a little bit about um, about church right now and ministry yeah. right now. Um, I don't think any of us imagined when, um, you know, when the coronavirus outbreak began that we would be doing church the way we are doing church now Um and that we would be looking at the prospect of possibly never doing it again the way we used to. Just talk about some of that in your own experience. 
Yeah, well, uh, when you said let's, when you first said let's talk about church right now, I had to keep myself from interrupting and yelling. It stinks. <laughs> so, <laughs> because uh, it, it's definitely different. I mean, it, it's been really. It's you know, I just to be really honest, I'm not, I'm not looking for sympathy here because you know, there's greater problems in the world, but it's probably the most discouraging season in ministry for me ever. And uh, and I, and pastors I talk to is in the same boat. Don't get me wrong; there are some good things happening, and uh, we're able to, you know, do online the best we can. We're back meeting again. We have a county mandate for, for masks. Everybody's doing that. And it's just definitely a different deal. But most pastors I talk to around the country, us included, are in that twenty to thirty percent range on Sunday morning. Uh, from what we were before the pandemic came. So it's just been hard, you know, and you can't even see people's faces who are there. Uh, so it's just been a really unique time of ministry, trying to keep track of everybody to make sure that everybody's still connected somehow to their church family. And so, you know, it's almost like you have to hold your, uh, so, some might disagree with this, but it's almost like you have to hold your ecclesiology loosely during this time uh, and, and just be okay with online being a legitimate option for people. There's a lot of folks that most people just aren't ready to come back yet. And then there's other folks where it's not an anxiety thing. And they just have more uh, gotten into the used to not coming. And that's the thing I'm most discouraged about. Folks that, you know, have a vulnerable relative or they're just not ready. I, I want to give grace there and patience there. And, and I just want to be completely understanding of that. Uh, but the, what I'm struggling with are the folks that have just kind of gotten used to the routine of the last few months of, hey, it's kind of nice watching church from home on a Sunday, not having to get dressed and not having to. And I'm like, that is fundamentally not what church is. Uh, so that's the one I struggle with, the folks that are back to doing normal things with everything else, but aren't coming to church. That That's the thing I have a hard time with. Uh, but for those who, you know, are just, are just aren't ready yet, and there's a lot of that. I'm just trying to grace and patience and hope that, you know, as soon as they feel ready, they'll come back. So that's kind of church-wise where we're at right now, but we're just really trying to do a good job, as best job we can online. Our services are feel back to normal in terms of what we're doing, uh, minus passing an offering plate, not serving coffee. Um, but in terms of people coming back, it's been nice, but at the same time, it's just been tough. It's just, so, it, it's just really been different. When you, um, when you think about your engagement with, uh, with new believers— for whom you know the the coronavirus has uh, or the experience of the of the shutdown whichever part of it um has been uh, actually something that has drawn them to the faith um and and it could be some of those folks who were sort of functional atheists but thought they were christians like you and i don't meet as we you you frequently say and i frequently say as well we don't meet a lot of like actual atheists we meet a lot of people we spend a lot of time with a lot of people who think they're christians but who are functionally who function as if God is not, as if they're the ones making all the decisions. I'm curious yes. to know if um, if you've if you've had some encounters during this season where people are waking up to the fact um, of the reality, uh, the supernatural reality of God, and um, and sort of the fragility of life in ways that they had not thought about it before. Oh, definitely. I mean, I've had texts from friends saying they need they they feel like they want to start coming to church. Uh, they don't give all the reasons why, but I know what they are. I mean, all of a sudden, I, I, I've heard, only thing I've heard about heard from them for years is just texts about football and politics and things like that. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, these people who aren't in church are texting me, telling me they want to start coming. I mean, there, there, there's real things going on with that. I mean, God, God's using this. I mean, it's, it's undeniable. You know, in, in my flesh, I'm discouraged about things, but God's using this. And uh, and I th and I think that it's just sort of a, a lesson for me in growth is really is to trust Him. I know that sounds so cliche, but 
the reason why these things are cliche is because they're true. <laughs> you know? And so uh, that, that's been a thing. You know what it's been? And I just want to encourage anyone that's a part of a church to just take this seriously, especially church leadership, is how online, this thing, one thing I've learned, how much of a front door and just really big, wide open front doors become. A lot of these people that I'm referring to, and by text, I don't mean like one person. I mean several people who have reached out to me. Uh, how they started was they started watching our Facebook Live. Uh, really kind of in the beginning of the pandemic. We've never had that before. Like we like we have good technology at our church and we really do use social media a lot. We've never act, we don't broadcast our services live on Sunday morning. Uh, we put up the sermon on Monday. Uh, but since the pandemic hit, obviously we went to full online for the first three and a half months. We weren't meeting on Sunday morning. So we had our services broadcast on Sunday morning. And I would watch people pop up or it tells you like who just joined, who's watching. And I'm like, wow, look, oh, that's my friend, <laughs> you know, things like that. So it's really been neat to see how the Lord has used that and how online really is a hook uh, to put in the water for people because they're sitting at home during the pandemic and they're scrolling through their phone like everybody else is. Uh, so they're on Facebook and they see all these friends, you know, who are tuning in and mentioning they're watching our church service locally and they engage too. So there's opportunities. It just looks different, but there's such opportunities to engage with the gospel. And then they're saying, once things get back to normal, I'm going to come. So then it's my responsibility, this is their Christian friend, not as the pastor, as a Christian friend that they know, to follow up on that once things do settle down, once things get back to somewhat whatever normal looks like, to go, hey, you need to come. And I watched online, you need to come on Sunday. What an opportunity. And I'm telling you, that's happening all over the country. Yeah, it's that part is thrilling. That part is thrilling. And it, it's mobilized yeah. a whole cadre of of Christians who um, never really thought of themselves as like evangelical missionaries, but they are sharing and posting via their social media, you know, where they're worshiping and and how that's happening. And it's an, it is getting other people exposed to the good preaching that many of us have the opportunity to listen to on Sunday mornings and uh, in good churches where folks can engage. So, Dean, we got to uh, we got to leave it right there. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for oh, what you're yeah. doing every single day at Thanks City Church in Tallahassee. Me. Absolutely. The book is without a doubt. Uh, you can follow Dean on all the socials. Um, all right. We're going to um, Dean. Thank you so very much. Absolutely. Thank you all. Absolutely. All right. So, friends, um, we got we got like a minute left here uh, in this hour. Let me just um, let me just encourage you. Let me encourage you. Uh, You can live with this certainty, this assurance, this blessed assurance um, that Jesus is yours because you are his. And so let's be mindful of that. Let's be sure that we're not comparing ourselves to others or thinking that we're going to get right with God ourselves. But let's be people who respond to the gospel and then who live these lives that are transformed by it in such ways that other people see our good works and don't glorify us, but glorify God who is in heaven. They see the fruit of our lives. They see the fruit of love. And they say, um, wow, I don't just want some of that. I want to know how to be like that. Uh, that, that. That's the winsome nature of the Christian life. And hopefully we're living it authentically today. We got a whole nother hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.